0: If you wear compromising footwear, you're going to remove 60% of your foot strength and 40% of your balance. Can you imagine a world where we haven't been divorced from this huge capacity to move well or be well? So with Yehudi, foot strength had improved, balance improved. Mm. Did Everest Base Camp, did Mount Kenya, Bhutan. In his late 70s? In his late 70s. This is closer to 80. And here we are witnessing... Empowered 70 to 80 year olds doing yeah. quite profound things, but that's where you can take it. We live in an amazing time, right? Yeah. We just need to learn how to balance our needs within it. Hi, my name is Rongan
1: Chasji. Welcome to Feel Better, Live More. What does it mean to be a thriving human in the 21st century? You see, one of the big problems is that the way we currently live is very different from the way humans have lived for the bulk of our evolution. As humanity has evolved and developed technologies to make us more comfortable, many of us have lost our instinctive connection to nature with profound consequences on our physical and mental well-being. So what can we do about this? Well, as it turns out, quite a lot. My guest today is Tony Riddle. Now, online, Tony goes by the name of the natural lifestylist, and he has spent the last decade developing and refining a robust way of life based upon the principles of a natural lifestyle. He's hosted retreats, workshops, worked one-on-one with clients, and has now taught his philosophy to thousands of people around the world. Now, if you're a longtime listener of my show, you may well remember Tony's first appearance on the podcast, all the way back on episode 71, which proved to be a big hit, the reason for Tony’s return to the show is the publication of his very first book, "Be More Human: How to Transform Your Lifestyle for Optimum Health, Happiness and Vitality." Now the beauty of Tony’s natural lifestyle philosophy is its simplicity, rather than a long list of things to incorporate into your busy life. It's actually all about stripping back and simplifying. Removing what's not serving us in order to get back to a natural state of well-being. In our conversation, we talk about how everything in our modern lives is now engineered for comfort and convenience and what the inevitable consequences of that are. And we talk about a variety of practical tools that can help us all thrive. We talk about simple breathing practices that can help us reduce stress and feel calmer and less anxious, We talk about the benefits of cold immersion and some simple ways in which we can start to bring this into our lives. And we talk about the importance of good quality sleep and why we all may not need the mythical eight hours. We also spend a lot of time discussing natural movement. What are some posture enhancing positions we can all adopt, including squats and heel sitting, to liberate our joints and spine and why our foot strength dramatically increases when we transition to minimalist shoes like Vivo barefoot shoes and spend more time without our shoes on. We finish off talking about Tony's deep relationship to running and why he describes it as a spiritual experience. The truth is we are never going back to being hunter-gatherers, but it doesn't mean we can't learn from them. Tony says we don't have to live in the wild to rewild. This conversation is full of practical tools to help all of us tap into our innate, natural needs, even if we're living in urban settings. Tony is passionate, he's knowledgeable, and I'm pretty sure his words today will help you become happier and healthier. I hope you enjoy listening. Before we get started, just a quick shout out to Athletic Greens who are supporting today's show. Now, good quality nutrition is an essential pillar for our physical health, but also our mental health. And in an ideal world, I would much prefer it if all of us got all of our nutrition from real whole food. But I know from nearly 21 years now of seeing patients that a lot of us struggle to find the time to consistently do that. That is why I am a fan of good quality whole food supplements like AG1 by Athletic Greens. One tasty scoop contains... 75 whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, mineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. It helps support energy and focus, aids with gut health and digestion, and it also helps support a healthy immune system. AG1 has been in my own life for about three years now, and I genuinely think it is one of the best whole food supplements out there. It's also really, really tasty. So, If you want to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of the show, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you can access an exclusive special offer where they are offering my audience five free travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D, a critical nutrient for our immune system. You can see all details of the special offer by going to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. And now, my conversation with Tony Riddle. Tony, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, man. You got the new book out, Mm. uh, which is super exciting. And I went for a walk this morning and I was thinking about your work and the kind of messages you put out to the world, which I think are very, very necessary. And I really like that quote that you have, which is, we can't all live in nature, but we can all live naturally. I think it's really, really powerful. I thought to start with, we could really unpick what that means. And maybe the best lens to do that through is, I don't know, you see a lot of clients, a lot of people come to your retreats. What is the typical morning, would you say, of Joe Public today? compared to, let's say, the typical morning of a hunter-gatherer in
0: Africa? It doesn't even have to be the hunter-gatherer in Africa. You know, it can just be someone that's aligning their physiological, kind of social, spiritual needs, right, within any habitat. I think that's the idea of this. We can't all live in nature, but it doesn't mean we can't live naturally. Um, the last retreat I held, we're, the very first morning I went through this, right? we, we covered kind of what were people's morning rituals what was their morning experience and it was in a yurt so all in one big yurt sitting in a circle and there were some there that were already on the path so there was tongue scraping and you know cold immersion and breath work and and but then my conversation even with that was well what does it feel like if you don't do those practices you know because our because what can happen is we can also get so attached to these practices oh my god if i don't do that what happens and again is that living naturally within any environment to become stressed if we miss something out? Mm -hmm. I think, so I was addressing that on the last retreat, but if we unpacked kind of even a nighttime ritual or a morning ritual, um, even looked at a landscape. So if we stripped away everything right now, you know, the lighting, the furniture, um, the noise, the sounds, the sound pollution, the noise pollution, the air pollution, and just stripped it right back and just think what that might look like. And, what we might be ingesting through all our senses because it's about our senses being open visually what we can smell what we can taste what we can hear what we can feel through everything we're doing right there's maslow's hierarchy of needs you know it's a great template in looking at your most basic fundamental needs at the bottom of the pyramid right and we could put food in there so food being one of those very basic needs um and I held a retreat recently and there was a foraging expert there, Tasha, brilliant foraging expert. Um, we had this conversation of how I would like to take things with foraging and it would be very much about senses and feeling and smelling and tasting the foods that they were picking. And if we looked at that that versus what could be, it's the rush hour, right? And I'm maybe a bit late. I've skipped breakfast. So I'm going I'm to run into one of the coffee shops. Um, I'm going to grab a croissant and a coffee and i'm going to smash it back on my walk well, it's not really a walk it's like a speed walk so it's not like i'm down regulating foraging and walking with my senses open i'm really up regulated which probably means that my digestive system isn't really activated to receiving or mm-hmm. absorbing and then we could say well out of that maslow's hierarchy of needs at the food pyramid which which one is getting their food need met so it's even down to that looking at well if that's where it is in nature and this is where we're at, how can, how can I look at getting my needs met yeah. in my everyday environments and just understanding well, that this is the natural template, that's how it looks. And that's the premise of the book, really. It's just this idea of giving people an understanding that this is how it looks in nature and this is where we're at. And it's not demonizing where we are in the city. It's just understanding that, well, actually, we can be doing better here. We can, we can, there is a, there is perhaps space to get our needs met if we just looked at the environment differently. I think that's a powerful example. And
1: it makes me think of this idea that so much of what we do in life or the way we think about life and we think about health and wellness is about what, you know, what should we be eating? What movement should I do, for example? But we don't really think about as much, you know, how should we be doing this or how might we want to do this? And what you just said there about the digestive system is something I'm incredibly passionate about, that you can sit there, you know, rushed, stressed out of your mind, you know, trying to fire off a few emails at the time with your beautiful whole food organic lunch, but you're probably not going to digest it as well. Well, not probably, you are not going to digest it or extract enough nutrients or the same amount of nutrients if you had, in your words, down-regulated first, right? Mm. And... You've used this term down regulation, up regulation.
0: What does that mean? Up regulation is we could call it fight, flight, freeze. So if the um, lion enters the room right now, roars at us, we will make a decision based on that. We're either, I imagine we're freeze, yeah, Um, and assist the lion's digestion at that point. But that's, that's the fight-and-flight response. And then through that, to simplify it, what can happen is um, the immune system, there's no point in fighting off a cold, right? So the immune system drops off. I need that energy elsewhere. Digestive system is a huge cost for digestion. So I'll drop that one off because I need the energy again perhaps to fight or run away. Um, and then um, reproductive system is another one, right? no point in me producing another bam-bam in the world if I'm going to be eaten by a lion, right? So. Yeah. Uh, Those are very costly systems, so those will be dropped off to fuel my system to enable me to fight or flight, right? And then down-regulation is this rest and digest, so um, a rested system, more associated with parasympathetic, Um, that calm response where those systems are almost like rebooted in a way, and that should if you think about it, it should be our normal growth state where, where we are down-regulated. Yeah. And an and, and acute response would be this sympathetic fight-flight as the lion enters, because the lion wouldn't always be in the room with us, right? Unfortunately, our lifestyles today, there's this an imaginary lion in the room, right? It's, it's there. And that, for some, is even an email or a phone call and they're almost like bolt-ons, aren't they? It could be a late night. It could be a late night, then a phone call. It could be, oh, I've got to go into a meeting. I'm a bit unregulated about the meeting. And then other stuff might be playing yeah. out from way back there that we haven't processed even. So the down-regulation in the book, I'm bringing those practices in so we can find ways of getting perhaps that rest and digest, that crystal clear state of mind, that growth-promoting mindset back. And that's before going into things like digestion, yeah. into sleep, um I, I i work with ice baths and and offer cold immersion part of experiences but it's not that it's the application of that isn't to go and do another ice bath how many ice baths are people are going to go and do post retreat some you yeah, know take it on they might be doing them every every morning even yeah. but others it's just a rite of passage and what they take away from it is that the ice bath is now the stressful phone call the stressful email um one person i worked with had a terrible relationship with her father um and would have to go and see him certain times of the year but was so stressed about it and i just said okay stop outside the house um work on the down regulation breathing techniques let's do the long exhales the longer the exhale the lower the heart rate blood pressure um let's try 4 seconds in 6 seconds out six rounds of that you're already at a minute that's a minute yeah. just take a minute okay let's do two minutes three minutes whatever it takes get to the door as you answer the door you breathe out as you enter the house you breathe out and you maintain that same rhythm of breath by nasal breathing no one in the room knows your nasal breathing or following a four six but you're keeping down regulated and she message back immediately afterwards and just say, oh my god i just saw the experience as something completely different yeah. Because her past emotions weren't playing out in that room from being upregulated. It's just like simple downregulation practice changed her experience with her father, right?
1: Yeah, I think this is so powerful, Tony, because I think a lot of us don't realise that our daily experience of life is hugely influenced by the state of our nervous system, (sighs) right? And if you are constantly, you know, upregulated, so your stress, you know, your fight or flight system effectively is on a lot of the time you're going to see things differently. You're going to be reactive. You know, you're going to see danger when there is actual no physical danger, but you are going to see it and perceive it. And just understanding that when you downregulate, when you do, as you say, one or two minutes of a simple breathing practice... So simple, right? You you just experience the same situation completely differently. You're probably not going to get as triggered. You're probably going to make better decisions, all kinds of things. And, you know, I want to talk in this conversation about a lot of daily practices that people can do because I think you have so many to share. Before we do that, though, I kind of feel I want to pause at this point to do with stress and upregulation and downregulation. You have spent a lot of time studying, I know, indigenous tribes. You know, how do people live in natural environments? And then how can we bring some elements of that to the modern world? As a doctor, I know that around 90% of what we see in any given day is in some way related to stress. And I just don't think people really get stressed still and understand how stressed and how upregulated they are much of the time. In your experience, people who come to your retreats, people who seek you out for help, people you've coached, when they come and see you, what proportion of their daily life do you think they're spending up-regulated compared to down-regulated, compared to, let's say, an indigenous tribe who are living in nature, with nature. Can you sort of paint a picture for us of what that difference
0: might look like? Um, I can paint it from Bruce. So Bruce Parry um, has been with so many tribes now, documentary tribes, also TY. Um, I had a good chat with Bruce around the book as well, discussing... Um, Penin tribe and another tribe called the Benjeli tribes they're mentioned in the book they
1: are i love that bit with the pennon tribe i just underlined it i thought it was wonderful
0: amazing story and he you know and he just expressed this he just said Look, you'll get it tony because of this right and left hemispheres and being damn regulated and this state of meditation they're operating in like 24 7 it's like even if they're in alert states it's it's like an alert state that we would talk through the Wim Hof method, let's say, where you're you're using an upregulating breath technique, but not to bring sh- that kind of upregulation stress to become an alert state. So there's a positive to that. It might be, oh, I'm um having a slump in the afternoon. Say we're having a slump in the afternoon, it's 3:30, I've got to jump on a podcast. I'll use another type of breath practice to just pick me up again. It just bricks me up into an alert state. It doesn't mean I'm stressed out, but it's an alert um tuned in practice. So it's so like a stressed and focus yes. as opposed to a stressed and anxious. Yes, it's a, it's a different mindset. So yeah. that's what that's what Bruce was explaining that these indigenous tribes that again they're moving through a landscape but they're not separate to it. They're totally tuned into the frequency of it, right? And that's where they're at. Um and if we again if we look at people that maybe turn up on retreat, they've normalized they've normalized stress. It's like that's what they operate at the whole time. So it's like these indigenous communities that Bruce is talking about are normalizing down-regulation, parasympathetic. And some of the attendees I see have normalized sympathetic. And what we then do is things like um, ice baths or breathing techniques enables us, so the ice bath enables us to go up, we get a peak, and then they can drop back under again. So suddenly it's like, ah, there's a stressor because I've just been operating at stress, I almost need a, um, even more of a peak of stress to be able to drop back under again to recognize where my parasympathetic, my more crystal clear state of mind would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it just from taking people again, like with the blindfolds on into the forest, you can just see a complete shift in that person's state. You can feel it. It's not just yeah. seeing it. You just feel it from like, their whole aura. There's something changing within their energy. Um, I guess people know that, don't they? Most people will probably recognize the
1: feeling I, I guess on a Sunday maybe when they haven't got to go yeah. to work and they haven't got anything like to do, or even on holiday how how just they feel and maybe a few aches and pains aren't there, you know just there, there's a relaxness, and your experience of the world is very different when you're in that state, and I guess many people think though I can only be in that state when i'm on holiday or on a sunday right many people will listen and go yeah that's all right for you maybe yeah yeah but i've got a busy life i've got a busy job it doesn't apply to me what would you say to them
0: um i have a coaching business i hold retreats um i've just produced a book in lockdown which is a. I hats off to anyone that produced anything in lockdown i believe um and did two major endurance events. Built a documentary around that. Um, we unschool our kids as well, so we've been doing that for many years, and still managed to operate in a downregulated state. So there is this. Oh, it's okay for you, mate, but there, I, I totally, I'm totally there with you. You know, I, I live it as well. I, I live that environment. Um, it's just that you can put practices within your day. You just need little reminders, and sometimes that's all it takes. It's a reminder to breathe. You know, it's a reminder maybe on the hour to say, everyone has a minute, you know, out of your hour. Take one of the minutes away and just say, okay, here's six cycles of breath just to reconnect to the breath again and to find myself within it. So
1: let's just talk people through that because a lot of people have heard of breath work. They've heard of practices. They've, they've heard it on this show before, but you mentioned one, the four six, yeah. right? So maybe just be super practical people on the hour, You're recommending that
0: they take a pause and do four, six? Four, six, six cycles. And sometimes, you know what, don't even get obsessed by the counting of it. You know, there's a breathing app I've recommended in the past, and it has a sound that picks up for four seconds, another sound that drops off for six seconds. That's called breathing app. It's so simple, right? That's one. Or it can just be, um, if you put your finger on your pulse for a moment and you just inhale up through your nose, you'll notice there's a slight pickup of the pulse. As you exhale and you exhale for longer, you'll notice there's a dropping off of the pulse. So it's as long as you can inhale for and as long as you can exhale for. But just try and extend the exhale a little longer and practice six cycles. You'll be at around a minute, right? Um, Prior to that, just try this. Wherever you're sitting, it could be on the floor, office chair, wherever you are, just try and relax the pelvic basin in your lower abdomen because we're also very tense down there, right? So we're walking around very tense. So try and relax that area to begin with allow your jaw to settle and your heart to settle. Just tune into that, very simple language. Relax the pelvic floor, the pelvic basin, the lower abdomen, the jaw, let the shoulders go and let the heart go. Even that, if you just even think of that, you're already a step there. Like immediately the moment I think of that, I'm like, okay, I feel calm again. Yeah. You know, it just comes in, drops in, and then you breathe into that space. Breathe into the relaxed jaw, breathe into the relaxed shoulders, breathe into the lower abdomen, the pelvic floor, and just allow all that being of you just to expand on the inhale. And then don't push your exhale. So you just allow your exhale to go as if... Yeah. Otherwise it turns into... And then we're tense again in the lower abdomen, the jaw and the shoulders. So it's just allowing your whole being to be inflated with an inhale and allow the breath just to leave you and that's six cycles that's i mean it's such a simple practice it's so
1: simple isn't it so like an alarm on the hour maybe on people's phones to remind them like even if they're post stuck post it
0: post it no boom up on your screen whatever it is just remember to breathe today you know it could be it's it, just little reminders and we do need the reminders because again once that stuff starts kicking in the next email the next phone call and we find ourselves upregulated we're already operating from a different system. Yeah. So sometimes we just need that little reminder, like a little tap on the shoulder from your favourite uncle or aunt saying, just remember to breathe now. Yeah.
1: I mean, what I love about that practice is that there's, there's there's literally nobody who is listening to this podcast right now who couldn't do that. It it doesn't cost any money, right? They don't have to uh, buy anything. They don't even need to get an app, really. You, know, you don't even really need to time it, do you? It's just a rough... yeah. Um, approximation you know roughly in for four out for six and just do that for a minute and what benefits is someone going to get
0: if they do that why should they i honestly believe that just that, those simple like the inner work i call it but every relationship improves from you doing the inner work including the one with yourself right so that will mean that every relationship within your work environment home environment will improve via that it could be like with the lady I'm discussing who enters her father's home. Her relationship with her father improves from that, right? Hmm. Just in that moment. Because again, she's seeing him differently. She's not seeing him from the what might have been way back there in childhood even, because she's not operating at that subconscious layer. It's now she's entered as a conscious adult into that experience, not operating as maybe the six-year-old or the five-year-old back there, right? Yeah. I guess your um, ability to think clearly, precisely, you know, so within a work environment, what do we want? We want to be on our game, don't we? You know, we want to be able to articulate, we want to be um, focused, we want to be able to deliver on time or targets. And you can do all of that. You could have worked better. You just work more efficiently, right? Yeah. It's, that's that's it. That's it in its simple form. But again, I think it's really down to, that. for me, it's the relationships. Every relationship improves. And with, with parenting, for instance, it might even be working from home. I have a studio outside the house. I have this really long commute these days across the lawn, right? But it's sometimes easy to forget that that's still a work environment. And I'd suddenly enter the home and I'm still in the email or the phone call. So what can we do? Okay, we, we put everything down in that moment, breath work, just for the moment, a minute. Then leave that experience and leave whatever it is in that space before entering the new space. Because again, the kids are waiting for you. They're waiting to see you. And who do they want to see? They want to see kind of again the upregulated pupper or the downregulated pupper. You yeah. know who have they been waiting for? And an hour, believe me, like an hour or two hours is like a lifetime to kids if, they, if you've been in that in that environment.
1: It could be I just can do one minute of down regulation breathing where my out breath is longer than my in breath in my car, and then when you walk through the door, your interaction with your partner with your kids, it's going to be completely different. It can stop a lot of you know unnecessary disputes or arguments. Yeah. I mean the other thing for me Tony is I hear that why why I think that's such a very such a powerful practice also is because we get to work and we just start to accumulate a lot of the time stress and what I call micro stress doses. And if you don't do anything to down regulate you just you just keep going, just keep going, keep going. And then by the end of the day when you finished, you may not have done anything to pause to bring everything back down again so by the time you then rock up at home after work whether you're working from home or from an office you know your state is completely different and arguably not the best state to then interact with loved ones
0: i had this moment i was staying at my friend's space in somerset we were there for six months so we got to live in like a proper community experience and there was one morning um i had i had a lot on and i just thought i'm just i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to the lake i'm just gonna sit at the lake so i walked to the lake did some breath and in that moment it was this simple language of um it's a choice right so you can choose to do the breath and appreciate the privilege or you can choose not to and feel overwhelmed and then I realized it was just a fine line between overwhelm and privilege. And what can help me navigate that path is just a simple breathing practice. But equally, being out in nature, you know, just as we're discussing breath, just a walk within a green space or taking shoes off and going for a walk on the lawn. You know, the study suggests that 20 minutes in a, in a, in a natural environment will lower heart rate, blood pressure and drop us into parasympathetic as well. What equally has to highlight, though, a bit like the morning practice is, you know, that why are we upregulated? You know, what is it within this everyday environment that's that's doing this? You know, and, and what are the other things I could be addressing, right? You know, that could be, again, getting out to green space might be one, being spending more time outdoors. We're known as this indoor species, right? This urbanite species that spends ninety-95% of our time indoors. Um, so we can look at stretching perhaps try and find more time outside or from that natural experience of being outside and recognising that just a small percentage of time outdoors will lower heart rate and blood pressure, what can I learn from that? Can I perhaps journal what that experience is and what it is I'm feeling? What are those things that that I feel drawn to that are, doing, that are lowering the heart rate and blood pressure? And what can I bring into my everyday environment from that? What can I learn yeah. from this out here to bring into the everyday environment? Because for some, again... It's all right for you, Tony, you might get to spend more time outside, which I get. Um, Others, it's not so simple. They maybe can't get out today or can't get out tomorrow. What if, you know, it's dark immediately afterwards, you know? And outdoors doesn't mean um, the tube, the car, or the shopping centre. It means actually outdoors, right? And so... Where the sky's above your head. Yeah, so, you know, what can I be doing? Maybe try and stretch it, you know, make the next tube stop to walk to or... You know just try and try and work with that but ultimately try and bring more of that organic experience inside the home in those everyday environments that might be what you see and what you taste and what you smell and what you feel within those environments but it could also how we move in those environments how can how can we move more organically within an environment right including it, the home
1: yeah it's you know getting off the tube one stop earlier Often the narrative, I think, in society around health is, okay, well, you can get more movement in then. You know, you, let's say you can you can get a 20-minute walk in now. Great. And then people naturally often go to, oh, I'm ticking off my physical activity bots. Uh, What? How many calories is that going to burn? Or whatever it might be. But again, it's very reductionist, isn't it? Because that 20-minute walk could be many things. It could be you're getting natural light exposure. You might be getting a bit of sun. You might be hearing the birds depending on where you're walking you could be doing some breathing at the same time it's not just one thing is it that 20 minute walk actually can hit
0: multiple parameters yeah you can get many needs met right rather than just the the want or the desire to get to work on time you could flip it and just think well okay what can i receive from that experience how many of those boxes those natural needs can i tick off um, it can be then. Oh, I feel so amazing for just doing a twenty-minute walk. I tell you what, I'm going to get up a bit earlier now and maybe walk for a bit longer. You know, and that's that's what can happen through these experiences and become more of an opportunist even along the way. Right? Once you really open things up, what does it feel like? Oh, maybe I'm going to balance on the curbstone today and get some balancing in, or I'm going to balance on the wall, or you know, use the stairs down to the tube instead of escalator and just add more things on. Like Yehudi, I, I describe in the book. Yehudi's like he's 82 now. Um, I think I discussed him on the last podcast, but his commute, right, was that he'd wake up in the morning. Anyway, he'd have his whole practice at home. And so he'd have um, an office experience at home where he'd set it up. There were mats there, so he had no chair. He'd ground sit. Um, He'd answer his emails either on the ground or standing. He'd have a pull-up bar so he could hang from before entering the office. It was in one of those positions where it's always there, so he knew he would do it. Um, Kitchens are great for that, right? You can pull up bar in the kitchen, so you know whenever you enter, oh, I can hang while the kettle's boiling. And then he'd walk in his Vivo barefoot shoes, right? So he's getting his feedback from his feet, and his feet can behave how they're meant to behave. Get to the tube, people would normally say, "Um, what would you like, would you like a seat? And he'd no, no, I'm okay. And as soon as the train starts moving, he's either hanging off the rail above, right? So he's hanging while the train's moving, Or his surfing, right? So surfing would mean not holding on to anything and just working like so. The tube becomes like a huge power plate, right? Where you have to stabilize, great for the hips, and that would be his experience. And then he'd walk up the stairs, and this, you know, it's just that's that's where you can take it, and that's yeah, that started happening for him when he was seventy-eight, and he's now eighty-two, and he's thriving in terms of his capacity to move now, right? I mean, that is.
1: it's such a powerful story it's empowering for um anyone who thinks you know is it too late have i lost a lot of my natural movement you know what can i do you know when did he start seeing you was it did you say 70
0: he actually started seeing me this big big journey he first started seeing me when he was 72 and he wanted to learn how to walk so he was and why did he want to learn how to walk did he
1: feel i can't walk properly anymore
0: well this is a massive story to unpack but he um he had a stooped posture you know like really head chasing collapsed in the chest from sitting. I didn't realize this at the time, but anyway, he wanted to learn to walk. So I said, okay, let's pop you up on the treadmill and I'll record you. Because unless someone shows you a video of you walking, you really have no idea. You're kind of subconsciously incompetent at that stage. And what the video will do is just make you consciously incompetent. (laughs) And then we can do some practices and then readdress it and then, you know, and then record it again a bit later. And then suddenly that becomes your new template, your new subconscious competence, let's say, through that model. Um, introduce him to ground sitting, um, Vivo, as I mentioned. So those studies are profound, aren't they, that we know that um, 60% of foot strength, um, notice it's, it's Professor Dort, I think his name is, from the yeah. University of Liverpool, right? Within six months of wearing Vivo barefoot shoes, their foot people's foot strength had developed by 60%, right? Yeah. But also balance had increased by 40%.
1: And, and i just want to because i love that study and i you know i'm a huge fan of vivo barefoot shoes yeah. the ones i wear my wife my kids i'm either barefoot or in vivos uh, probably very much like you and that study what i love about it is it wasn't about running no a lot of people hear barefoot shoes yeah, and they yeah. think oh, i've got to be able to run Immediately. it's like hold on hold on this is just living in barefoot shoes you know going to the shops walking
0: around yeah, you know what I mean? within a six month period. So, if you think about that from a parenting perspective, what that means as a parent, okay, and we want the best for our kids and we want to create these solid foundations for our kids and foundations for life, right? Um, it's saying that if you wear compromising footwear, you're going to remove 60% of your foot strength and 40% of your balance essentially that's what it's saying right it's also saying that after billions of pounds that's been spent in the sports science world for developing footwear which is mainly for athletics, and not athleticism let's say if we can understand this model is where has that got us but but equal i think for this parental thing it's like understanding well you know think about the potential that's perhaps lost Mm. right and if we look at um, things like physical education, we already know that if you're the youngest in the class, you, there's a, you're at a disadvantage for the older kids when it comes to physical education and PE, right? So there's already this feeling of inadequacy when it comes to sports perhaps and PE in later life. But then we're saying we're removing also 60% of foot strength and 40% of balance, you know. But with Yehudi's case, he, um, he yeah, so introduce him to Vivo. So again, again, foot strength would improve, balance would improve, of course. Naturally, uh, without working naturally. on it, just, just by actually yes. not
1: compromising your footwear in and being in touch with the grounds.
0: So that's removing, so that's operating at the cause level, right? You know, and really understanding that because you can do all the foot practices you like, strengthening your feet, balancing work. But if you keep putting them in the same environment, that are compromising in the first place. It's merely symptom relief and quick fixes are further distractions from the truth. You need to get into the real cause and often it's, it's simply the shape of the foot. You know, it's the environment, really, that yeah. we need to work at. And the environment for the foot in modern society is the shoe, is it not, right? So with Yehudi, that foot strength had improved, balance had improved. His overall understanding of his posture had improved because it removed the chair and got him back to f- mobilizing areas that are designed to be mobile and creating stability in areas that are essentially designed for stability. And also bringing the squat back, so squatting instead of sitting, so that his mind could understand where his weight should be when he stands up even let alone when he walks right um but later on as times passed Yehudi then said well the reason I wanted to learn to walk was because I wanted to go to Everest base camp for my 50th anniversary with my wife so that's why he'd taken on that challenge Mm -hmm. did Everest base camp did Mount Kenya Bhutan um Atlas in his late 70s in his late 70s this is closer to 80 and then at 79 um, he came on a workshop of mine, which was originally, um, it's now called the hundred human experience, but originally it was called move, breathe, chill, which was movement and play and breath work and then ice baths. And Yehudi was terrified, right? Properly terrified of the cold. So it took me about an hour the night before the workshop. I mean, you'd agreed to it days before, but an hour the night before to convince Yehudi to come the next morning. Mm. Yehudi also lived the closest to the workshop, it was in Camden, he lived in Hampstead, people were traveling from all over, and he was still managed to be late, right? But once we got him through the breath work and the play, and the play is great for that because it enters this playful state of mind and it breaks down all the armor in a way, and um, we become much more open, and we become much more open to the breath, so the breath goes right in very quickly. And he was first in the ice bath, right, first one in. And he let out this huge primal roar, I mean, like screaming from the belly was coming out of this man. Then stepped out and he thought it was done. I said, no, we're going to go back in again. I think we need to go back in and got him in again. And then since then, um, Yehudi has been going to um, either Hampstead Ponds or the River Lee five mornings a week um, for two years now, right? So he's 82, so like 83. 80. Like the practices, like it, it, you know, when we think, oh, it's too late for me, or it's too late for the I can't start this now. I'm already we're talking about someone in their late 70s. He's not alone. I mean, I there's a number of my clients that are past their 70s, mid-70s pluses that have been told, you know, not to take their knees past their toes and they're now in deep range squats, low gate walking, balancing on rails. And for me, again, it's Incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Because it changes my template even of what the 70s and 80s are, right? Because my personal understanding of 70s and 80s is looking at my grandparents or even 50 pluses at one point, you know, where it's like it was just uh, normal to groan as you sit back in the chair or something, or groan to get out of the chair. And here we are witnessing empowered 70 to 80 year olds doing quite profound things. But are they that profound or are they again naturally normal, just We've, we've become um, distance from the path, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm so on board. I, I can't shake this idea of an 82-year-old chap on the Tube in London in between stops hanging from the rail or squatting. Yes. I, I think it's wonderful. And I think that, for me, brings up some interesting points. just taking a quick break to give a shout out to Vivo Barefoot, who are bringing you today's show. You've already heard Tony and I talk about the many benefits people experience when they transition to minimalist shoes like Vivo's. I myself have been wearing and recommending Vivo Barefoot shoes for over nine years now, well before they started supporting my podcast. And the truth is, they have transformed my own life as well as that of my family many of my friends, and a lot of my patients. You see, I've seen so many benefits when people wear minimalist shoes like Vivos. I've seen improvements in back pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain, even things like plantar fasciitis. And one of the benefits that you may not be aware of is that many people describe an increased enjoyment of movement when they move to minimalist shoes. Because you can really feel the ground beneath your feet, so you feel much more connected to the experience. Now, that does not mean that these are uncomfortable shoes. They're actually really, really comfortable. And they're actually the only shoes that my wife and I wear and the only shoes that I will get for my children. As you're learning in this conversation with Tony, scientific research has shown that just a few months of wearing vivos for your daily activity Increases your foot strength by almost 60%. That is an incredible statistic that doesn't really surprise me. So, if you have never tried them before, I really would encourage you to give them a go. It is completely risk free to do so because they offer a 100 day trial for new customers. So, if you are not happy, you just send them back for a full refund. If you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, They are giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners. Terms and conditions apply. To get your 20% off code, simply go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. Leafyard, a fantastic new mental health app, are also supporting today's show. Now you may not have heard of Leafyard yet, but you absolutely will in the future. It is a fantastic new mental health app that helps motivate people to take control of their mental well-being. Now, all of us struggle from time to time and need help building up our mental fitness and resilience, whether we have a diagnosed mental health problem or not. And science has shown that there are so many things that we can do that will improve our mental fitness, like sleep, exercise, breathwork, meditation, journaling. But the problem is, many of us, despite knowing what to do, we don't actually take action, especially when we're not feeling our best. And this is where LeafYard can really, really help. LeafYard is a web app that takes a very different approach to building physical and mental fitness. It uses proven behavioral science to gently push you to take small steps every day to change the way that you feel. LeafYard helps you to keep your mind healthy through a series of regular videos that will teach you how to cope with stress, increase happiness, and build resilience and confidence. A podcast listener who started using Leafyard after hearing me talk about it on this show has been in touch to say I really liked that you could get it on your phone, and it just keeps reminding you throughout the day. Just little things like going for a walk or filling in your journal, but it's never too much at once, and it doesn't feel annoying. I'm really glad I gave it a go because it gently nudges me to be proactive, and has made a huge difference to my well being. LeafYard are giving my podcast listeners an exclusive limited time offer, 20% off any LeafYard membership. All you have to do is go to leafyard.com and use the code livemore20 at checkout or go straight to leafyard.com forward slash livemore where the discount will be automatically applied. And if you're not sure, why not give it a try? Everyone can try the app free of charge for 14 days. Monday night I was at Edinburgh last night with my book tour and um, I was coming back on the train yesterday and the train got cancelled and there was all kinds of I had to take three trains instead of one train it was all unplanned and yeah I was pretty chilled about it actually which is uh, you know when you practice these sort of things I feel you naturally you know I, I feel I'm a lot more down regulated these mm. days naturally, and therefore I just be a lot more. And I'm like, mm. oh, the train's cancelled. Okay, cool. Well, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. And then and the final leg, I thought, actually, Tony's coming tomorrow. Let me get back <laughs> into his book a little bit more. i I'd, I'd been reading it over the weekends and I was reading about Yehudi. And this was a busy kind of local train. It was coming up to office time. A lot of people, there was no chairs and stuff. And I thought, yeah, Tony's coming tomorrow, I'm going to squat. And so, for the last hour, um, I, in between the, uh, you know, sitting carriages, you know, I was squatting against the wall and just reading your book and then listening to some music or whatever. I was rested against the wall. And, you know, after about 10 minutes, I was a bit stiff. So I'd stand up for two or three minutes and then I popped back down again. The thing is, a lot of people will think, oh my God, what would people think? People are going to stare at me. I don't recall anyone looking at me, like genuinely, like people are so tied up in their own worlds and their own podcasts and their own music and their own books. I think that's empowering that actually no one gave
0: two hoots. You know, I always go, with it's none of my business what other people think of me, right? And also, you'll be surprised if people are looking at you, how do you know that they're just not being inspired by you? Why do we immediately go to the negative of, oh, they're going to think I'm this crazy man on the tube? They might be inspired, you know. And again, I, I'm inspired by someone like Yehudi, who's hanging off the tube rails and squatting. How could you not be inspired by that? You're not going to look at, at someone in their 80s and go, look at that crazy eight year old hanging off the rails and squatting. You're going to think legend. Yeah, exactly. And there, there's that. And I, I think also it's a cultural thing. Like our kids are now going to this uh, forest school. It's a group of parents that live where we live, and we kind of done something together and created something for them to attend on a Thursday. And um, one of the dads was there and he'd listened to our podcast way back and said, oh, no way, you're Katerina Antonian was talking about ground sitting. Oh, fantastic. And again, was discussing this, oh, how do people react to it? And Katerina said, well, it depends where you are, where you are in the world, because some cultures, that's what they do. It's just where we are in the West, perhaps, it's our own lens of how we see it. You know, yeah. Has anyone ever said anything to you? Negative? Not negative. I've never had anything yeah, negative. Even walking around, you know, and being better. I mean, sometimes I, I mean I have had kids kind of be like, "Well, Papa, why is that man running around with no shoes on?" And and but nothing really, not really negative. Sometimes some strange, I guess, strange kind of looks of what's he doing over there. But then again, it's how it's received, right? Mm-hmm. Again, what if we're receiving that upregulated versus receiving it downregulated? How about try and do the practice, but work on your breath while you're there? And it might change the lens of which you, you're receiving that look. It might be suddenly that's a positivity look rather than a yeah. negativity look, a judgmental look. And when it comes to judgment, more often than not, we're judging others for judging us, not them judging us. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> you know, it's you know, when you are concerned or overly concerned with what other people think, usually, if not always, it comes from a place of insecurity, doesn't it? When you don't think enough of yourself. Um, You know, for me, as a a fellow barefoot uh, shoe wearer and someone who literally has his shoes off as much as I possibly can, it's really interesting a lot of people who listen to this podcast now wear Vivos because Vivos have been supporting the show for, for a few years and I I talk very passionately about them. And what's really interesting for me, at the event in Edinburgh on Monday night, a lot of the time in the book signing keys afterwards, people show me their Vivos. Like, hey, look, hey, you know, yeah. I'm wearing it. It's really, it's really nice. And they're like, oh man, I don't have my back pain anymore. I don't have my knee pain. Thank you so much, all this it's stuff. And brilliant. Then, right. There was two really lovely women. At one point he said, you know, they've just got to make... Better-looking female shoes, you know. Then I'll wear them. And first of all, I, you know, this was a. This is something I had with my own wife a few years ago. She's, you know, but she's been wearing them probably four or five years now and wouldn't go back. You know, once you experience them, and I think they do look really good now. Actually, I think compared to maybe ten or fifteen years ago, it's oh yeah. But I think this is a really interesting point. Like if you look at the research on minimalist shoes, you've mentioned, you know, one of those studies from the University of Liverpool. I know I think it's Professor Irene Davis in yeah. um in America talks about as soon as you put a human in a cushioned shoe, their gait changes straight away, right? You you denormalize or you but you, you, you're changing how you walk. It's come through animal studies as well, they show it. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you think, well, I think, well, once you know that, and, and I want to talk to you about feet in just a second, and they're so important to every aspect of who we are. For me, through the lens with which I look at the world, which is, well, why on earth would I wear cushions every day if I know what that's doing to me? But I understand. And many people, yeah, they're persuaded. They give it a go. And they're like, oh, man, I'm actually enjoying walking more now because I can feel the ground Mm. a lot more. And then they're not quite as disconnected. But some people are still very much off the view. Yeah, man, but they don't look normal, they don't have that kind of pointed end that I'm used to. Or, and I guess what I'm trying to get to, to be as inclusive as possible, you know, I, I think everyone should try at some point minimalist shoes, Viva or whatever brand you want, right, try and just see it for yourself how you feel. Have you had resistance to that? Have you had uh, clients who come in and go, look, I'll do the other stuff. Ah, oh, Man, that's not my thing. Or, or does it almost self-select when people want to work with you that they're already in tune with that way of thinking?
0: yeah i have much more compassion these days like in my coaching (laughs) when i first started out on this journey i used to be quite strict it used to be well you know if if you're not prepared to change shoes then i can't really coach you because the whole point is that you know if we understand the behavior of the foot 33 articulations 26 bones 100 muscles tendons ligaments and all the receptors within the feet, 200,000 extra receptors and how that feeds and nourishes the whole posture and all the joint actions above it and the muscular actions above it in tune with that, then you'll be super efficient and minimize the risk of injury. If you're not prepared to do it, then we're really just offering symptom relief. I'm happy to give you symptom relief, but really this is is where it's at. Um, And I think over time, it's just, here's the conversation, this is it you know and allow it to just settle a bit plant the seeds at least you know and the beauty of this work now is we do have those studies there you know not many people have heard of that study and for me that's it's quite profound Mm -hmm. to understand that 60% your foot strength will improve over a six-month period that can be okay if you're not prepared to change it and I get it even my Lola and Millie and Tallulah have started putting lego blocks in the back of their socks to be like high heels right and they're unschooled. It's not like they're even in a school environment. Katarine doesn't wear heels. Just it's, it's within. It's just within it. They're observing it somewhere. Um, and am I going to say, no, take those blocks out of your heels? And no, of course I'm not. You know, it's just an experience. They're playing with something. Um, but it's also understanding that probably... A large proportion of the day they are barefoot or they're in vivo barefoot so what can you do okay um could be an unavoidable sitting scenario like now right we're sitting right um do we alienate sitting or it's the devil's work sitting smoke sittings a new smoking it's well there are unavoidable sitting scenarios you drive a car get a flight you know in an office environment it's not appropriate to sit on the floor and for some environments they won't even allow a standing desks so what do we do? It's what we do outside of that. The The places where we can possibly take responsibility or control of what we can take control of. So when you arrive home and you're behind the door, then get the shoes off. And then there's certain toe practices or what we call toga or yoga for your feet that you can then do, which will then help unravel or deconstruct some of that um, yeah, that environment that you've created, which unfortunately does compromise the foot and the behaviors above it, you know? But
1: it's amazing how much you, you, the environment influences our behavior, doesn't it? Not only the environment we see around us and what we think is normal um, yeah. or, or typical, I should say, rather than... Because you obviously talk a lot about this concept of biologically normal. Yeah. Um, but cu- culturally, you know, we may have touched on this when you came on the show a few years ago, but in most Indian families, you take your shoes off before you come in. That's obviously my cultural upbringing which yeah. a lot of people certainly in in the uk and, and america don't have it it's it can be very different right and so have you found there's a difference do you do you get clients from different cultures different parts of the world and have you found that actually their willingness to How en- they respond engage yeah. is different
0: depending on their
1: belief system
0: yeah it's an interesting one with footwear in the home isn't it you know, and some some haven't actually taken their footwear off. It could be a whole day experience. So even that, as I say, it's, it's suddenly changing that template that within the home, let's just at least try and get that barefoot environment. Yeah. Change, flip the perception of that one environment. Um, And yes, some people are much more responsive to others. It's what's normalized. It's whatever those templates are and how long you've had that experience or what you've observed in your earliest years even play out within that. Yeah. You I mean, know? there's
1: even you know we say you said office environment where you can't do that much you know we thought long and hard you know in this new studio it's like okay well I'm going to sit here maybe for two hours with someone having a deep conversation I don't want them to feel uncomfortable I don't want to feel uncomfortable myself Um, yet there's also a certain expectation of what should a chair be in a studio where someone's coming right and uh, so I have this uh, move man here I don't know if you know move man but it's awesome because it's an unstable seat. Yeah. So I have to, by default, for this hour, two hours, move, my postural man. muscles... Yeah, I think it's them um, you've... Yeah, movement, yeah. exactly. I have to move, man. I have to move. And, and, yeah. and this is, I think, a lot about movement. I'd, I'd, I'd love your perspective on this. But the fact that I can't slump and stop engaging my muscles yes, it means that whenever I finish, I have never had an ache. Like Mm. never. I just simply walk up. It's like, yeah, I feel great because my muscles have been engaging the entire time. Um, But I also think that this helps me think more clearly throughout the conversation. So I'm not, you know, if if I'm stagnating into a chair, my my lymph, my blood, everything's sort of stagnating, right? And, And then that chair that you're sitting in, you know we got what we consider the best ergonomic chair for people to at least because i thought should like give my guests a move, man i thought wrong and what the problem is is if they're not used to that it could be really uncomfortable so instead of engaging with the conversation they can just be thinking about how they're sitting and they know there's cameras here do you know what i mean how, how would you think about that
0: i've with someone at the moment um i had someone come and see me he's about your height stewart his name is and um he had a furniture business like auditorium kind of lecture chairs And um, I'd seen his sister originally, she was like this yogi living off grid in Portugal, came with a back condition very quickly, one session out the door, done. I need to send you my brother, brother come, Stuart. And he just said, "Um, do you think there's a chair in this stuff, Tony? Because I took him through simple ground resting positions that are in the book, just a simple series of ground sitting from kneeling to sitting cross-legged to shin boxing. um, And each one of those You know a prerequisite almost of how we stand let's call it they're almost like the motor skill milestones of what it is we do as children before we stand up so we then i we parked that conversation and it must have been two years went by i said i have the idea he's like what i said i know the chair so we're gonna i have it so we went through this whole design so at the point we're ready to launch that very soon um and that then is a platform that's at normal seat height, and you can perform six different rest positions that you could normally perform on the ground. And you're 100% right. It's about move, man. It's like this understanding that, well, there should be certain signals to move anyway. You know, if we've been in a position for too long, yes, we're stagnating. What does that mean? for? for think of flow states. what What does stagnation have to do with a flow state? you know, I'm stagnant versus flow. I mean they're completely different ends of the spectrum, right? So it's enabling, I guess, that movement to be really fluid, um, which then ticks the box of earlier conversation about within an environment of work, what do we want to be on our game? Don't we want to be super sharp? Um and I think with this sitting conversation, it's it's yeah, it's individual specific again, isn't it? There's a template there of what we've normalized. So what we've tried to do with this particular chair is you can sit on it like an everyday chair. But right. equally, you can be in certain positions which if you don't have the mobility, it can be adjusted. And then over time, you can start to gain the range. One of them being the squat that has a central sitting pillar that, and the base goes up and down. So you'll start to gain more and more range in the ankle and the hips over time. Um, but yet you can always be at desk level. So it then brings that ground sitting conversation into every office environment, you know. Yeah. And and then and then where do we go from there? And then we have standing desks. I think, you know, it can be just as detrimental to stand with poor posture as it is to sit with poor posture. So the standing desk isn't always the answer. If you look at my dad's an engineer, um, precision toolmaker, and the most shocking posture from standing all day working over screens and working mm. over and and working with materials that he has to for his trade. Um, if you're still working over a desk and you're still stooped, and where does that lead us so it's just understanding there's certain postures or shapes that we should be adopting which help as prerequisites to standing Um, and the other conversation is around muscles need to learn how to switch on and off so it's it's not great to be in one rest position for too long whatever that is whatever that is so it's choosing a different shape and normally as i say in ground rest position you get a signal it will be a signal oh this is a little bit uncomfortable now let's move and you shape shift in this in a normal chair or on a sofa we don't necessarily get that yeah and we start to stagnate as you say so that means that there is no muscles or muscles off we've just it's either on incredibly on to try and stabilize something or it's just off and both states over time can lead to atrophy. If a muscle's on for too long, on, 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 it will atrophy over time. Um, Swiss balls were like an example of that where people are just sitting on a Swiss ball for a period of time. You'd be so on to try and stabilize yeah. that you're not giving yourself the rest opportunity within that. So it's with your move, man, it's the, the cue's there. It's moving. Yeah, I'm moving constantly. And then you no, find I'm... that you're then within that system, the muscles are on and the muscles are off. That's 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 Yeah, that's... and it's what's it's been
1: it's been amazing actually uh using this for the podcast because I know I can't move too much because I won't be in the camera shot. I won't be on mic. Um so this will stay relatively uh you know, my mouth, my face will stay relatively close to this mic that's not moving. Mm. But I know my hips, my back, everything else moves a lot of the time, yet I'm still able to have a podcast conversation with the chair. And I guess I have found a solution that works for me in this particular aspect of my work. And I guess, you know, a key sort of message I get from all of your work and in the new book is that we don't all have to go and you know, sell our house and live in a forest. Actually, there's lots of little things that we can do that and bring into our normal lives, whatever that is, just to start optimizing a bit. And you know, you mentioned ground living a few times. Can you explain what ground living means for people, particularly in the context that the Hadza tribe are actually? They were also sitting a long time, right? But they're not sitting like us.
0: Yeah, so the studies around the Hadza are really quite fascinating. All the studies around the Hadza are fascinating, aren't they? Microbiome. Um, And Just remind us who the Hadza are. Um, They're a nomadic tribe that have been living the same lifestyle, really, for what would be tens of thousands of years. So there isn't anything that's changed within that environment. So if you wanted a good template of how things look... um, that's the place to go really and i think with the studies around sitting um the hads are sitting for ten point five, ten 10 to 10.5 hours a day so they're just as sedentary as we are in that respect they're just not sitting in chairs so they're interacting with their environment the ground so there's grounding within that we understand now grounding the charging of one from the mother of all batteries right mother earth Um, there's also the microbiome so they're having a interaction with the biodiversity of their land right being part of that Um, and as the squat is a major rest position out of that 10 and a half hours they're also experiencing the same weight through the soles of their feet as if they're standing so that means there's a metabolic chemical cost for that that's an endurance event in itself you know, just to be able to squat for large mm. periods of time with the same weight with all your segments um upon that base of support being the foot, so if you're barefoot within that conversation, that's the thirty three joints twenty six bones hundred muscle tender ligaments, and those two hundred receptors feeding and nourishing that framework, but also the superstructure above it understanding how to be organized perfectly above the base of support so that when we stand up everything is organized to support this huge weight being the Mm -hmm. human head above it um, which makes them incredibly efficient yeah um so if we think of me for an endurance event let's say and i'm asked well how has it turned you run for like 12 hours a day well i i spend 12 plus hours experiencing the weight in the soles of my feet be it through standing or squatting there's other rest positions in there, but the majority of it is so you're
1: eating. not so basically what you 're saying is the mainstay of your life is not spent sitting in a chair, yeah you're in either the squat other ground resting positions walking or running, so therefore, even when you 're resting, yeah, your movements and patterns are feeding the same kind of awareness in your body and the same patterns as when you actually get up and actually move. Whereas for most of us, we're sitting in compromised postures. Um, We are sitting in fixed rigid chairs, which allow no movement. And therefore, when we try and go for a walk or a run,
0: We feel our knee, we feel our hip. We do do you know what I mean? Is that is that with the point you're trying to make? Yeah, so there's certain areas of the body that are designed for locomotion or let's call it even mobility, and certain areas that are designed for stability. And so if you think about the foot, it's a huge supportive structure. Um, incredibly strong as a foundation. It has multiple Characteristics as well. Like you can grip with your foot Mm. and you can balance with your foot around different objects. But in the linear kind of aspect of our world, it really only expects that flat plane. But you can climb with it, you can balance in trees with it. But if the foot's incredibly strong as a foundation, the ankle joint can be mobile, the knee can then be stable, the hip can then be mobile, the pelvis and core can be stable, and the thoracic spine can be mobile and the neck can be stable. So there's like this joint by joint approach. But what it can also be is a culprits and victims model. So if the foot, for instance, has been um, shaped like a, a shoe shape, pointed, no longer wide in its toe box area, the great toe, which is which can cope with which is like four times denser and thicker than all the other toes, it's a huge lever, foundation, anchor, and pivoting tool. Um, if that's been compromised, then that then becomes the culprit. And the ankle can become the victim. The ankle then becomes a culprit for the knee, and the knee becomes a victim. And we can go up that chain like that. So, sitting, where does sitting live in? If that's the shoe and what that does to the foot, what does the chair do if I'm compromised and sitting in that rigid form? Well, again, we get stagnation and pooling in the hips, and the hips should be, well, they're incredibly strong and stable, but they're also incredibly mobile, right? They're a ball and socket. And in running, they have to be, understand extension. And when we're sitting for long periods of time, where are they experiencing lots of flexion and they're compromised and stagnant Mm. in that position. Um, Then what tends to happen is because we're in these incredible um, beings for efficiency, we're always trying to find ways of burning less fuel in terms of survival, let's say. And this is where that conversation around there's a chemical metabolic cost for squatting or experiencing your weight on your feet the whole day. Therefore, you get stronger at that. Whereas in a chair we can get even more efficient, even more efficient, even more efficient. We start to collapse then in that very framework in the mid-back that should be able to be extended and open to support the head above it. So then what happens is the head starts to drift forward of the base of support. The further forward my head is when I'm walking, it was like the case of Yehudi discussing earlier, um when the head positions forward we have to stride more so the foot has to be further out in front of us otherwise we would fall over so it creates a longer lever which longer levers are more vulnerable but it also then means that i spend more time on the ground which means i'm less efficient which means i'm using more muscle action to support the fact i'm on the ground for longer so there's there's many factors in it so sitting in a chair for long periods of time yes will compromise the way i stand the way i walk the way i run um taking that taking time out of that again there's unavoidable sitting scenarios right what are the environments i can take control of and responsibility for well the home you know even if it means well, we discussed this on the last podcast it's like yeah. it might mean netflix okay let's see if i can do a number of rest positions while netflix binging i'll do some shin box sits or just sit on the floor i guess exactly you just <laughs> get, get on the floor and just try you'll naturally it. move won't you because and again you'll, you'll get, get cues to move yeah. so you just start and then there might be points where it's just it's Oh, this is challenging of course it is because you have to go it's mobility you have to go through the stage to begin with where yes it might be awkward play with the edges of discomfort though don't get out of there immediately just play with the edges but also use supports you can use a cushion underneath your butt for certain rest positions um you can put a little support behind your heel you can use something to hold when you're squatting and then over time what happens is your mobility and strength will improve but ultimately that will overlap and overlay into your everyday practices you know i guess the
1: the kind of overarching point for me there as i hear that is comfort versus discomfort and how
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know we can compare a modern hunter-gatherer tribe to a modern industrial human living indoor in artificial lights. And one of the key differences is that the way we live, or what is normal in Western society now, is everything is engineered for comfort, right? There is no need anymore to become uncomfortable, whether that be in movement. You know, you get these ergonomic chairs and, you know, these things that you can slump in and you can't feel anything anymore. You don't have to have uncomfortable emotions because you can go to whatever your drug of choice is, whether it's the smartphone or, you know, whatever. You can straight away... Pacify it. Pacify it. So you don't need uncomfortable movement. You don't need uncomfortable emotions. You don't need an emotion like even hunger anymore. Hunger is something that very few people actually know what feeling hungry, real hunger is anymore because for many people, clearly not everyone, there's no need. You can just distract it away or quickly snack or get a quick sugar hit or whatever. And it's very hard, isn't it? Because you know, you, you spoke about the, the ice cold immersion before, but it's this idea that many of us don't need to engage in any part of our life with discomfort, yet
0: there are so many benefits when we do. Yeah, it's discomfort and convenience, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like choosing a way of living that, in our modern sense, would be considered quite inconvenient. You know, like the the stairs are inconvenient. My um <laughs> my parents are looking to choose a new house. They're moving, and so they were, they were discussing bungalows. And my mum said, "No, I'm not choosing a bungalow because if you move into a bungalow, you'll get But bung- she called it bungalow legs. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you stop using the stairs, then the stairs become incredibly difficult. So you develop bungalow legs. You know, and that was smart mum, right? In that moment, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, she's speaking the same language. This is the convenience and inconvenience, right? So think of, let's look at what um, food would have looked like, right? In terms of, let's call it pushing and pulling patterns, right? Okay so um let's go way back let's look at the foraging and the hunting experience maybe pulling a bow throwing an out throwing a spear right pushing something pushing carcass pushing whatever it is right now vegetation right okay foraging what that meant over a landscape right pulling things pushing things climbing and then we go way to where we are now you can literally just pull your screen down and push a button that's the that's where we're at so there's this still pulling pushing we're just, still <laughs> pulling pushing but it's and we're still hunting in a way we still get this set with huge amounts of dopamine involved with both practices yeah. right but it's just again it's understanding that well if i stop walking to the shops perhaps um then the shops are going to seem further away you know if i stop climbing the stairs the stairs are going to feel more steep you become divorced from it, right? And I think the key is in Yehudi's case and in many cases is imagine a world where we don't become divorced yeah. from that those practices, you know? Can you imagine a world where we haven't become divorced from that 60% foot strength yeah. and 40% balance? We haven't been um, divorced from this huge capacity to move well or be well, right? And again, I think there is this huge amounts of convenience which drive more want. And I think if we can understand, well, what are the fundamental needs, even within this environment where it's incredibly convenient, then imagine how it would look because actually we live in an amazing time, right? Yeah. Just We we just need to learn how to balance our needs within it. And then we've made an advancement because at the moment, it doesn't really look like an advancement when you look at most of the stats around health.
1: And even why something like running Something that is considered to be a natural human movement. the the way a lot of people end up running now is resulting in a lot of injuries. I'm not saying the running is causing the injuries. It's 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 that compromised posture. It's that compromised system that we now have compared to what is you know biologically normal, biologically optimal. But but then let's take something like a squat, Tony. Yeah. So you mentioned Yehudi now squats yeah. on the tube. Uh, I squatted yesterday for a bit, but I couldn't really do more than. Sort of ten minutes, and then I had to stop for a few minutes and move, and then get back in it. But again, that's just maybe a bit of natural discomfort. Maybe that's good. I, I instead of being in a squat for an hour, I I would move my posture. Yeah. Many people might go, okay, all right. I hear you, Tony. I hear you, Rangan, Uh I'm going to start squatting, and they're going to really struggle. They're going to struggle. It's going to be painful. Yep, yep. They're going to maybe get their heels down, but they're going to arch their their back's going to be totally rounded over in order to do that. So. Is there a point at which, like, our movement is so compromised because of the chairs we've been shoved into when we were at school for hours on end, because of these cushioned shoes that we've been wearing since we were kids, right? You've got all these positions in the book, and some of them are going to be easier for people than others. Squatting for many people is quite hard, though, isn't it? I mean, what would you, what would you, should the goal be, right? Should the goal be, I must be able to get to a squat within the next year. Because for many people, that's off-putting because they, they they feel like they can't get there and maybe they'll never get there. Or is there some sort of halfway house? Well, I
0: just want to be able to pull a screen down and push a button and get a squat because we that's where we're at now. So we want things very quickly, right? And the, the squat will come, but it takes time and it takes practice. Maybe a few more pulls down and presses of the button of the screen, right? It just takes a longer practice. But there's stuff that you can do Around the squat to assist it, you know um you can put heel supports in like wedges um
1: i've got you know in the kitchen i 've got this uh like weight bar, yeah because i I can squat all the way down, but my my upper back will be arched, yeah yeah, and I don't particularly want to be in that position, so i will uh i 'll often just sit in the house in a squat but on a on a little exercise bar, so i've just got a slight heel yeah, elevation
0: and I could keep a nice, straight. Yeah, so, so what does that tell us? Is it the posture that's affected or is it ankle function? So it's ankle function affecting the rest of the frameworks. Then we can suddenly understand, well, why is it important to then have strong foundations and mobile ankles? Well, even that has an effect on the superstructure above it, the biostructure. So more often than not, it is, it's ankle function it comes down to. So I would say use a support behind the heel so that you can rest in the squat. Ultimately, the squat is what? It's a rest position. We turned it into physiological exercise, right? Doing reps and getting DOMS and (laughs) filling your quads and your and your glutes for days on end. But the reality is, it's a position of birth, pooping, eating, and resting, right? So it's right. I would work with heel supports, um, and then with those heel supports, over time, they can get lower and lower and lower. So So with Yehudi, for instance, Yehudi had to have a heel support. It was like a wedge um you can now buy cork wedges that are like a slope so you could start at the thicker end and then over time you get to the thin slope of that wedge um and then you set a timer perhaps
1: uh, and what is someone right someone maybe someone heard the first podcast we did i don't know two or three years ago right and they've been trying on and off yeah i think i tell you listen i've been doing it for two three years um i'm way better than i was but i still can't go all the way down maybe they've not practiced as much or maybe they spend eight hours in an office chair and they practice in the evening so you know one's working for them one's working against them is it necessary optimal should that be the goal or is the goal really to say listen even small improvements from here will actually already start to make a difference for you
0: 100 it's small changes every day incremental changes right and it's stuff that we might not even pick up on is even happening but it will be happening elsewhere yeah Like just by bringing the heel support in, already you're noticing the posture can be better. Yeah. So what have we increased there? Well, the posture's better. So it's a trade (laughs) then, isn't it? I might not have the ankle function. What about if I've had my ankle fused? Well, you're not going to get to a flat-footed squat and then use a heel support, use something behind the heel that would enable the ankle to behave how it needs to behave so it can get to a point where it's rested. I think ultimately get to the point where the squat can be resting for you. So that means put whatever needs to be behind the heel to get to the point where the squat is restful and then the more restful the squat can feel the more range you're going to develop over time anyway if it's uncomfortable what are we creating more there we're going to get more tension we're going to get more stress within it we're then going to feed this sympathetic parasympathetic divide right just get stronger so it's well what are other things we can do well we can be breathing to offer more relaxation within it Um, we can think like within even within a meditation position you're looking to relax certain parts aren't we we're looking to have that checklist of ah can i be relaxed in the hips the chest try and find the same thing within the squat itself but also there's kneeling positions within the book which are prerequisites of squatting so there's a single leg kneeling position in there which is the equivalent of doing a single-legged squat And what you can do then is play around with range within that one leg support underneath you, the range within the ankle, and ultimately open up more dorsiflexion. Um, What's dorsiflexion for people? um, Imagine you're standing now and you point your toes down into the ground. Think about you're planting your toes. That's plantiflexion. And dorsiflexion is you're looking to, say, pull the bridge of your foot and your big toe up towards your shin um and it's important dorsiflexion when it comes to practices like walking and running because there's certain rocking actions in the ankle that need to be honored to be able to keep your feet within a certain range underneath you Mm. um and also to help then with knee stability and hip function as well above it so i would I, i i would say work between the kneeling positions that are prerequisites of the squat put a support behind the heel and also um you know just play with those edges of discomfort and remember the convenience versus inconvenience yeah because sometimes we might be thinking well i've I've been doing this for two years but it's maybe time to maybe up the practice within the day of how much we're doing yeah you know and maybe just put more into it and that could be movement based it could be sleep it could be digestion whatever it is just become very skilled at that thing for yeah. that time because it could be the squat would then improve the way I run, the squat would improve the way I stand if it was digestion, work on down regulation because we talk about food being thy like medicine, but really digestion and absorption is the ability to allow yeah. food to be its medicine you know so it's
1: you you mentioned the squat is a is a rest position for many cultures yeah. you know i every other summer we'd go to India as kids, and I remember in my you know family 's house if there was helpers there, you know, literally be sat in a squat for hours, like cutting vegetables and peeling things and just totally, I mean, normalised. they will not even be thinking, no. oh, how am I squatting? I am now on a squat. Am I stats? Is my, po-? no, it's just because obviously that's the natural movement. They're barefoot a lot of the time. They haven't got the compromise movement in the first place. In one of my auntie's houses, actually, I remember, there was a kid who got there and there was no Western
0: toilet. Like, if you wanted to go to the toilet you had to squat. Yeah, it's not like you had a Western toilet with a squatty potty. Yeah, it was just and, and so, of course, that.
1: if you grew up in that environment, not being able to squat means you can't go to the toilet. So, of course, everyone can squat, yeah. um, which, it, which is really fascinating because many people just will not have had that experience and not know that is the norm for millions, billions of people around the world. Right? For... It,
0: Thousands upon thousands of years, right?
1: Yeah. So that is a, and, and you mentioned it's a, you know, it's a pooping position. Well, how common is constipation? And there's so many causes for that. Of course, the poor diet, the chronic stress state, you know, the subregulation, which that's not the, the, the state your body wants to be in when sort of letting go of stuff that it no longer wants, right? Mm. Um, but there's also posture. Have you seen with some of your clients, you know, because we know anatomically, physiologically, what does a squat do for your ability to, you know, have a number two? It's pretty significant, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love all the stuff on Squatty Potty. It brings your feet up as if you're squatting, but you can still have your butt on the toilet, right? But it just brings your knees up. So it just helps open up what would be, as as you say, it just makes pooping more comfortable yeah, um, and aligned with how nature intended it to be. So that there's less strain, right? I think that's the understanding of it again, that um, I think with, um, constipation, hemorrhoids, all of those issues can be aligned with that too. Yeah. You know, you have, um, got this new book out, which I think people are going
1: to find incredibly helpful. Um, I know what it takes to write a book. Yeah. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time not moving when actually writing, right? Yeah. So for most people that looks like sitting at a table, hunched over a laptop, uh, typing away.
0: What did it look like for you? There were still moments like that because I was travelling as well. So um, there was still moments like that. But the majority of it was spent on the ground. So, um, yeah, I have a ground-sitting desk. I have ground-sitting tables at home. So they're low tables. Um, so I would have spent that kneeling, squatting, shin boxing, standing though as well. Um, and presumably
1: in that time you're sort of – maybe you're lost in thought in your head trying to come you know trying to articulate an idea but at some point as fit and as mobile as you are i'm guessing that that ground resting position would have become uncomfortable so you would
0: have naturally and that's what i want really i'd want that i otherwise again it gets to that point where you're stagnating you're in that same position mm. and you want to allow muscles to be on off on off on off so there is a a nurturing that comes with that you, mm. you have to be in tune with it and pick up on the signals um some of those positions i can be in for 20 minutes you know like kneeling i could be longer but it will get to the point where my feet will be numb it's like oh i can't feel my feet now oh, okay time to move then yeah you know so you get just subtle cues you know yeah but it is it's um There's still unavoidable sitting scenarios within that. And then what I do is I then offset it. So I say, okay, I've been sitting for this period of time. Um, Is it great for me to just walk now immediately afterwards? No, let's try and reset at least the locomotive joint actions. So I'll hold the desk, squat, allow my heels to come up so I don't have to worry about that Mm -hmm. ankle position or trying to have a flat-footed squat. I'm more concerned with posture. So I keep my chest up, look at the horizon, drop, bounce, stand, walk, done. You know?
1: Cold immersion is something that is uh, all the rage these days, right? People see it, they hear Wim Hof doing it. You know, he's certainly popularised it for many people. I know people have been doing it for years, but obviously he's brought it to the masses massively. Let's just go into cold immersion, because I know we've been through a few practices so far, right? You're you're sort of making the case that many of us are upregulated for the majority of the time, whereas it's more natural to be down-regulated in that yeah. kind of rest and relaxed state, and many of us are not. So, therefore, what are some of these practices we can do to help down-regulate us? So you, you know, you mentioned, you know, breathing every hour—the four-six yeah. breath. Um, you nature know, immersion, nature immersion, um, and then even the sort of movement kind of down-regulation. Uh, I guess you, you could you could argue yeah, yeah, what you're about, ground resting positions and, and squatting where does cold immersion fit into this kind of
0: framework as i explained a little earlier is that if you think about the cold being um, a stressor let's say and so i will breathe before going in um, to change my perception of the cold to start with so i can become more down regulated before i go in
1: so i'm just going to pause you there because that was interesting change your perception of the cold right so the the cold water is still going to be cold but you're doing something that's going to change your experience of the cold right yeah that's I, that's powerful yes
0: yeah, so i um oh well, so lola and millie i take through this practice how, so, how old are they so they're now lola's about to turn 13 Minnie about to turn 11 we were staying at our friend's estate have a big lake um all through the winter thick ice you know smashing through the ice to get in <laughs> lola and millie there as well in their swimsuits teaching them breath shot an amazing video with them um just to say you know this could be for Lola and Millie um they they're on school but let's say if it was school for instance and they're about to walk into an exam the icy lake is the exam right so what am i going to teach Lola and Millie right we're going to go through breathing now so the breathe the cold represents whatever the stressor is anything could be anything could be the phone call the meeting could be the school exam going back to school for the first day for some right um, here's a breathing technique to change your perception of that environment and then we continue the breath when we're in and we work on down regulation with breath whilst we're in the water to remain calm in the stressor. So it's like, here's the stressor, let's do this before entering and here's the stress, let's do this whilst in the stress, what we perceive as the stress. So it changes our perception of that but it also does something else in terms of... Um, i'm i'm a bit of an adventurer endurance athlete so there's the recovery aspect of it but there's also changing my mind's perception of cold you know so it's not so extreme and i think that level of convenience and inconvenience we've normalized room temperature so anything outside of room temperature seems like an extreme yeah um once you start to then go into the cold or into ice baths doesn't have to be an ice bath could be cold shower or cold bath right um, you change your mind 's perception you 'll change your template of that, yeah, you know it's
1: it's it 's like the cold is the stress, and you're you 're practicing with a particular stress that I guess you can control in some ways depending on where you live and what you have access to,
0: and by practicing that you 're practicing for life, yeah, because again or you can change your perception of a stressor right, and then it gets to the point where the cold is the cold that's stressful right because you 're doing it for so long but I, I think it's never the same. Like Even it cold tub one day will never be the same as the next day, right? So don't even like to put pressure on of timing. Just look for the present best in that moment. Yeah, How can I be doing my best within that moment? And- yeah,
1: that's so powerful, isn't it? This idea that it, it's never the same twice. So even if it was a temperature-controlled ice bath and it was whatever temperature you've set it at, your perception of that is going to be different depending on how you slept i guess your stress levels how you're feeling you know what what you've got going on that day
0: and that's individual specific right it could be two people queuing up to go in the same ice bath they're both having a completely different perception of what's going on in that moment and time anyway right of that reality right
1: so when it's not the winter and when someone doesn't have access to a lake what might this look like for them is it a cold shower?
0: Cold bath be, once a week, it can every be a day? Cold shower, it can be a cold bath, it can be starting off with warm in the shower, switching to cold at the end to finish the shower. And for some, that's where it has to
1: start. Well, some people will say, and they've said it before when we've covered it on the, on the show I can't do cold showers. You know, they're not for me. I, I don't tolerate the cold, which I find quite interesting in, in and of itself.
0: Yehudi. Who's 79 year old terrified of the cold Absolutely so when terrified. you started whether he was terrified Ter- i mean they had trauma around cold to the point he wouldn't go near any cold and then since then it's been that's his experience but for him that this is different i think we're doing an ice bath and going into cold showers and building it's it sometimes takes that level of experience almost like a rite of passage mm-hmm because then it takes us outside of our everyday experiences, right? And our everyday behaviors and sometimes social templates. And sometimes when we and when we do step outside of that, we can then bring around change, right? So for Hudi, it was stepping outside everything that he'd known to go to a new experience, being a rite of passage, being an ice bath. Mm. And then that completely changed his perception of his world even to the point now he's, you know, at the pond's, or the river lee five times a week right and making the effort to get there in the morning first thing gets there does it feels empowered for it he messaged me one of those days just to say thank you tony i finally found peace you know imagine i mean that's that's really quite deep it's quite profound isn't it so yeah i get it if you know i I can't do cold i can't do this. it's there's a there's a language there and it's an internal dialogue and we can change that and we can change that through breathing so again i would start with breath first start with the breath try and tune into what that language and what that is and just enable that release that first right at least yeah um work through the breath don't just jump in the cold shower or the cold bath yeah. Because you, what you're going to do is just create an emotional reaction to it, which is only going to feed then even more fear of the cold or the experience. So, could, could It's that... understanding there's a skill to it, really, and the breath enables us to really access that. So,
1: so okay, just just to be super practical, someone's standing in their warm shower that yeah. they're comfortable with, totally relaxed, chilling, singing away, whatever they might be doing, right? And they're thinking, okay, in a few minutes, I'm going to turn it to cold for whatever, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever what might they do specifically to prepare
0: themselves for that cold whilst we're in the hot shower is that is that how it would work yeah i yeah i'd avoid like the really up regulation of the breath because you're standing up in in a shower so um, that vim Hof type you hyperventilation li- you're standing you, want to do you could get lightheaded you could fall out of the bath right out of the shower so um, I would work with, again, just long inhales up through the nose, exhale, longer on the exhale, down-regulate. Don't up-regulate, actually, just down-regulate. Calmer, so 4-6? Four, 4-6, six? Four, six, if 4-6 works. or get, You don't have to obsess over counting. It could just be an inhale and exhale. exhale. Um, try and go – you could even try um, – I call it we will rock breath, where you do like a <laughs> – you know? We will – Yeah. <laughs> so um, – You can practice that and do that whilst you're in your preferred water temperature, right? And then adjust the water at the temperature as you go. You don't have to go straight to cold, it can be just bit by bit by bit, but keep working through the breath as you're going. So you're putting your focus and your attention on your breath, not on the cold. Rather than how we started the conversation was oh, in two or three minutes, I'm going to go in the cold. That just feeds the beast right it's yeah. like, okay let's not oh, i'm not going to go in and see the lion right now i'm going to breathe so let's focus put all the attention on the breath keep going through the breath four seconds in six seconds out. or long inhale long exhale longer on the exhales and then incrementally work on the temperature until you get it where you are another great practice is the bath and you because you can sit by the bath you can breathe by the side of the bath um, you can use the handles on the bath at the side. You can lower yourself in. You can get your belly button. Exhale. Every time you enter into that or put more of your body parts into the water, exhale. Do it on the exhale. You know, because again, with the exhale, we get, uh, if you put your finger on your pulse, you get a pick up with the breath on the inhale and you get a lowering of heart rate, blood yeah. pressure on the exhale. Work with the exhale and put all your attention into the exhale as you get in. So as you start to immerse more in the water, just breathe out, breathe out, breathe out and focus on the exhale. And that then is an overlap again into other experiences of stress. Exhale, you know. The worst thing you can do is tell someone to, if they're having a really stressful, anxious moment, is to breathe because chance are they're already. (sighs) So if you get them to (sighs) breathe out first, you then give them a space to breathe in again.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite chapters in the book is the one on sleep. And clearly when you are upregulated the entire time, you know, sleep is, I guess, the ultimate down-regulation. It's going to be very, very hard to sleep. And we know that many people struggle to sleep. So I guess a lot of the practices we've already mentioned are going to help people with sleep. One of the things I really liked in the book was you talking about how we may not all need eight hours of sleep and how that may not be biologically normal, could you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic subject, isn't it? The sleep because I, I went on a path of I've got to get eight hours, and it's got to be this, and I, you know, you can get so out-regulated and stressed trying to get eight hours, and you know, when we're not achieving it, we end up more stressed, right? And I think as a, I'm a father to four, right, and so it was very important that I could remove myself from the eight hour language, really. Um, and so where can we look? And again, we look to um indigenous tribes to look at what what's a natural template of sleep removed from our everyday environment of what we have today and it's professor siegel university of california looks at three independent tribes um three separate geographic locations and they look over a period of time um and they observe that no one in those tribes are getting eight hours it's between 5.7 and 7.1 hours sleep um and when they pull away and they look at the Hadza and it's over 30, uh, 33 members of that tribe over a 220-hour cycle period of time, um, they're only ever asleep together like 18 minutes. They're, all of them at the same all time? Of them, yeah. So they're basically sleep-waking all the way through and it helps you maybe understand the sleep-wake cycle because if we were in hostile environments um, and we were all asleep for eight hours, would we be here, right? It's like... <laughs> you know so it's looking at the sleep wake and but what's different and we touched on this at the beginning and the difference is the air quality the air temperature um the information they're receiving so the lighting is different right they don't have the ability to switch um to create sunrise at sunset by switching a light on um there isn't this huge cascade through their hormones by playing around with lighting and temperature so it's really for me it became very much about the environment it's creating a sleep habitat that would then drive the habit right of sleep so not even just sleep hygiene just understanding well if i change the environment of which i sleep and i look at the air quality and i look at the lighting and i look at the temperature then surely i'll get more of a natural outcome of how my sleep would be and that's where that study just blew my mind because it was the ultimate template of that it's like saying okay right okay we don't we don't need eight hours, but also there's other markers within that. And we look at like um, ghrelin and leptin, don't we, around digestion. And yeah. then we see that melatonin is actually a driver of that as well. So it's like, well, if lighting comes in and it suppresses melatonin, I don't have some of these digestive kind of influences in place, right? Yeah.
1: I love that focus on the environment. Instead of focusing too much on the sleep and what's going on with the sleep, it's like, no, you know, let's focus on, um, you know, light. Yeah temperature and air quality yeah and
0: and information right what we're absorbing so
1: that's kind of three four quite tangible things uh let's let's just just go through those because so many people struggle with sleep so many people beat themselves up that they're not getting eight hours many people get eight hours and are still knackered afterwards which is super fascinating In and of itself, I think. But if we just quite
0: common, right? Very
1: common, very common, and you know, sleep quality versus quantity can come in. Or I guess also, I I sometimes think, and and I know you 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 share a similar perspective that if we are chronically upregulated and chronically stressed, well, there's more to recover from. That 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 we need to sleep. Well, we need to sleep, rest, downregulate, do something. To recover from that but if your life is inherently not that stressful you you actually probably don't need as much sleep or rest because there's nothing there's not as much to recover from which again is sort of flipping things on their head a little bit around the conversation with sleep i think
0: yeah i i think also then part of that understandable well, the sleep environment can also be adding to the stress so it's changing the sleep environment will improve the sleep habit, but also the environment itself could be leading to the stressor. So if you're in eight hours of your experience because you've been trying to achieve eight hours sleep and you're inhaling the same air that you've basically, you, windows are closed, um, you've got central heating on, let's say, well, what are we inhaling for those eight hours, right? In and out the same air, Right um we've been kind of um maybe hyper visual kind of stuff going on with our screen so we're upregulated from our screen so we have fight and flight responses kicking in we haven't managed to down before sleep don't even understand there is downregulation before sleep or that that would be appropriate for rest and digest you know um and then thinking about the quality of that information i'm receiving and then we know that studies suggest that Um, There's a huge influence of dopamine by typing, swiping and getting likes on your screen. Dopamine isn't conducive with sleep either. (laughs) Um, And then there's the light that's pouring into our eyeballs again, which will kind of suppress melatonin, right? And then it can take another hour to three hours to get that melatonin anywhere near where it should be to perform its task which just isn't just sleep i mean it's uh, you know it's that's another podcast in itself just yeah. understanding melatonin it's phenomenal it, it really is and, and
1: you write about a study there about light in the book yeah um which is really pretty stark for people you know and, and i think the research about that study like like many researchers feel that actually s- some people think that the most important factor for obesity is light exposure at night yeah yeah Do you know what i mean yeah. light exposure
0: Yeah. So melatonin will suppress certain. It's the di- if, if, if regulatory systems of your digestion are all affected by melatonin. So if you remove melatonin from the subject, we're still going to be hungry. So we're still going to start looking for food, right? We haven't had that suppressing kind of hormone coming in.
1: So so normally, when without that light yeah. in the evening, in in a more natural environment, without that sort of without the sunlight, without the natural light, without the blue light from our screens melatonin will start to go up and you're saying that actually if we don't have melatonin then a lot of the cues to our body are the same as they
0: were in the day exactly yeah so there's imagine there's daytime hormones that are in place again you need things like the moment the light comes up the sun comes up and we're out there and we're moving around underneath that light We have serotonin. Serotonin helps synthesize melatonin for the evening, right? So that's one cycle. Then we get to the... And then once melatonin starts to pick up in the evening, cortisol becomes at its lowest, right? And melatonin should be at its peak. And it starts to be introduced from 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 10 p.m. should be at its peak by 10 p.m. If you're... As in some of the some of the clients that have come to see me at the beginning when we had a news at ten, it'd be like, Well, yeah, I like I watch news at ten, I like to watch the news at the same time. So at ten o'clock the how is their melatonin, how are you expecting your melatonin to be at its peak? By 10 PM, right?
1: The campfire in the evening would be storytelling, romance, humour. What part of the news at 10 is yes. storytelling, romance, then or humor. Th- and
0: the spectrums of light are different. So firelight is an am- is amber tones, right? It creates biological darkness. Biological darkness is starlight, moonlight, firelight. And whereas we have the light bulb, light bulb moment came in, and then that light bulb moment means that we can create bright experiences in the evening. With that bright experience in the evening, it doesn't give any count for what might happen hormonally right, and what might happen throughout that system.
1: What what do you do at home? Because I think many people who listen to the show now are aware that, you know, artificial light exposure in the evening is not that helpful. Yet it is one of the hardest things to persuade, inspire, empower people to do because these devices are so so addictive and our entire lives are on them right so what does it look like for tony riddle in his house because we can say the science i mean one of the things i've done because i sometimes get tempted even though i know i've written books on this stuff i have to put in some quite strict measures in place one thing that's been really i mean a simple thing like not having your phone in your bedroom keeping it downstairs we live in a two-story house we leave it downstairs that helps um i have these like um low blue light bulbs now in all the bedside lamps in the kids room in my room so if we're reading at night it's not a bright bulb that we might use in the day it's a sort of amber tone uh you know there's very little blue light in that and i found it's made a huge difference what what does it look like for you in your house
0: it's similar i think the studies are suggesting that it's it's between it it depends on the study there's one that suggests anything about 60 lux but it's 60 lux to 600 lux which is the spectrums of light of blue light that will be emitted from a light bulb right um and that will then is enough to suppress melatonin right but again it's directional so yeah whereas new lighting is very different it's directly in that um directly in the eye that then is through the suprachiasmatic nucleus stops that melatonin production, right? So it's, um, there's types of light that you can get. You can buy, um, amber lighting. You can buy, um, Bluetooth amber lighting. You can buy Wi-Fi amber lighting. I, you know, and then you, what, what are you then emitting around your home at the same time? So it's then, you then a trade off between more electromagnetic chaos around your home versus blue light. um, we started using like Himalayan salt lamps in the kids' rooms. Yeah, um, and nice then, red reddish tone. then you tone. can also change the bulbs within those, so you can play with the lux of light. Th- these are quite simple things, and they're not they're, aren't they then and they're not that expensive, right? And yeah, you could, you know, you could also say candles, but again, you have to be really mindful with those. So I would go tea lights inside jars. Yeah, that's quite a nice light. And then again, it's firelight, it's amber light. Um,
1: but obviously that that can help but still people might be on the smartphone in bed yeah, and the
0: the other thing of a smartphone I mean, you can wear stuff like amber glasses but that's dealing with the with the light spectrum but you're not dealing with the dopamine right
1: yeah the stimulation the emotional stimulation yes. from you know the news or the Whereas likes you, you or really whatever. want
0: that kind of healthy dopamine in the morning when you wake up kind of get out in the natural light with serotonin have a little bit of move around and get that kind of the the motivational molecule seeking hormone yeah. going in the morning and have that as a healthy kind of balance throughout the day it's just not conducive with sleep so it's just being mindful of that then I guess being mindful of the information that you're receiving yeah can you put a, can you put a cap on it can you say right okay here's the time this is um this is my sleep time this is what I take into the bedroom bedroom is for sleeping for sex it's not for working typing and swiping have hmm. that kind of language. Um, that you adopt, yeah. Um, you can also why why not switch Wi-Fi off in the evening at a certain time, yeah. You know, and, and kill it that way. Um, it's
1: very powerful when you do that, or if you have a timer like we 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 used to have, where it would just go off at a certain
0: time. Yeah. Um, we had a pa- we we're living in Somerset now. And we had a massive power cut, and it wiped out um, Wi-Fi in our house. And I have like a, a mast on my studio because the whatever Wi-Fi we had anyway wasn't strong enough, really, for Zoom calls or anything in the house. Um, but since then, we didn't sw- we didn't switch it back on again, so we kept that away from the house, and so we only have it in the studio. So if anyone wants to watch anything, we used to have movie night with the kids. Um, if they want to do any work on their iPad or want to research anything, we just we now have a completely different location to go and do it, which is in the studio, so it keeps it even out of the house. That is
1: really powerful. I mean, even even beyond wi-fi and electromagnetic radiation you know the brain is an associative organ we we associate certain behaviors in certain environments and so this is why what you're saying about not bringing you know your work emails into your beds mm. And this is why I think over the last couple of years, when a lot of people have been working from home and they're working in the same environment in which they're trying to switch off and relax, incredibly problematic for many people because your brain is associating that environment with a certain task. And if you just want to chill now and switch yep. off,
0: it's like, wait a minute. Something, so that's, I think that's really, really great. Um, it's almost like creating, again, like I've discussed ritualistic spaces, ritualistic spaces for meditation or breath work or movement. It's the same within work. It's like, well, if you're working from home, you have to create an environment or right. at least a place which is the work experience, you know?
1: It's even, we're sitting in this podcast studio, you know, we haven't just stumbled into it being of this design, right? It's like, well, what do we want? What do I want out of this conversation or the, the conversations I have? I want warmth, vulnerability, intimacy, authenticity. Okay, so what sort of environment do you need to create in order... For that to come up. Well, some yeah. nature, uh, nice tones. You know, we've got a very thin desk here on purpose, so mm. that actually
0: It's ha- more intimate. It's right? more
1: intimate. This this is, I guess, a a much broader theme in your work, I think, for, for many years, including in the in the new book, is you know, the environment influences us so much. You have gone to what many people would regard as an extreme by having no chairs in your house. Now I happen to not think that's extreme, although uh, my wife has certainly not agreed to that in our house, right? So that's just the way it is. But I I try, you know, my morning routine when I get up and when I'm doing my reading or meditation, I'm on the grounds. You know, I've been doing that for years. I don't want to sit in a chair at that point. It doesn't feel like I just don't want to do that. Um, but I guess what you're saying, a, a big theme for me, which is why I think your work is helping so many people, is that It's just saying, look, just be a bit more intentional with how you're living, to be a bit more aware. And here are a few small things you can do to your environment that will naturally mean you live better. Is is that
0: a fair reflection? Absolutely. It's just, again, looking at needs, I guess, within that environment. Yeah. You know, how can I get my needs met within everyday environments?
1: Yeah. I want to just, at the end of this conversation, Tony, move on to uh, running. Yeah. Um, You are a very accomplished Endurance athlete, you've done all kinds of uh, what many people would consider crazy and wonderful things, you know, running the length of the UK completely barefoot, the Three Peaks Challenge, you're running up these mountains and these rocky uh, terrain barefoot. And I know you're not suggesting that everyone has to do that in order to live naturally. What I'm interested in is in Be More Human. When I was reading about running, you described it as a spiritual experience for you. And I'm really fascinated by what you mean by that. A big sort of feature of this conversation today is about sensing more, being more, um, you know, really, really sort of leaning into the experience that you're having within your life. When you say running's a spiritual experience for you, you know, what, what do you mean by that? Do you run with a watch? Are you tracking? Uh, minutes per mile. You know, share a little bit with us about what that looks like for you.
0: I'm training for um, a big event in September, which is um, I'll be running 100Ks a day for 10 days. And... Are shoes on? No shoes? I'm wearing... uh, Not sure. It's it's as close as you could possibly get to being barefoot. Okay. So it's a... I'm having some well i'm working alongside vivo barefoot at the moment with something like a prototype and we just uh, i'll be able to discuss a bit more on it a future date i guess um but it means that my feet can pretty much perform how feet should be performing but just a little protection okay um and very bespoke in that sense it's my feet rather than off off the off the shelf shoes um and um, with that experience, I've been really working on yeah, firstly getting out in the environment. So it's along the southwest coastal path. So parts of that terrain are just incredibly empowering anyway. And um, we've talked about nature immersion. We've talked about breathwork. We've talked about movement. So that trifecta alone has been met, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just... Uh, and how can you not feel amazing after that? So already it's a heightened experience for me. It's beyond kind of a physical experience of just... Um, mileage or um, what my heart rate might be. So, am I wearing a garment? No. Do I track mileage? I tend to use Strava on my first run of a new segment just to map it so I have it. And then after that, I ignore it. I why?
1: Why do you not run? Because the norm these days is to run with a watch and track everything, right? I don't, but yeah. I'm interested as to why you don't.
0: Um, because I can make it more playful and I'm not performing for whatever it needs to be or also the ego doesn't need to be posting about what mileage I'm doing or or what my timing is I'll put one up from this is right this is a new part of the journey this is it and I have that so I can map the range and the distance of it so I know that and I know where I've kind of come in and I can play with that so I can just refine the experience in amongst that time and it can be more playful so I don't need to keep looking at my my um Strava my phone or my Garmin or whatever it is at that time I can just be focused on breath and the path itself you know and my practice is really about refining the technique of running yeah So I'm always trying to improve and improve and improve and improve and refine things while I'm out there. And I think it becomes a huge distraction from that if I'm looking at a device or looking at, you know, how's my time comparing to this? Whereas I can every step and every breath becomes part of that, you know, the present best conversation earlier rather than trying to achieve a personal best every leg I'm out there. Whereas when you're doing a big endurance event like that, I can't operate at that level. No. <laughs> I have to just, it's whatever's presented in that moment. And that's part of that spiritual self as well. It's, it's present best. It's been really present and tuned into what I'm doing and what I'm expressing at that moment. And that's where running takes me. It's a real heightened state, kind of profound states when I'm in it, you know? Yeah.
1: Now I really, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, the, the truth is I, I'm eschewing tech more and more. I'm, I'm, I understand many people are really attached to tech, and everyone can have a different relationship to it and Some people can use devices and not let them you know overly obsess them and actually drive their entire life and i totally i want to totally be respectful of that i've just found what i 'm moving walking or running or a walk run or whatever it might be. I just find it so much more enjoyable when I don't have something on my wrist that I'm looking at.
0: Where well, you're competing with in a way. Yeah. And even you if know? you
1: think you're not, you just, it's very hard to not. And, and then you don't take into account, as you say, every time you go into that cold plunge or the cold bath or the cold water, even if it's the same temperature, your experience of that's going to be different. And let's say you're running, I don't know, 10 minute miles for example someone's used to seeing that pace or they've just hit that and they're dead excited or nine minute miles or whatever and then on another day actually they're already doing 11 minute miles often that's a tool to beat themselves up like yeah, they don't recognize failure right I mean, yeah yeah and it, it starts that negative dialogue oh why can't i do that you know and they don't recognize well you've been on the roads you didn't take a lunch break today um you know you didn't sleep as much last whatever yet you're trying to compare yourself to the external metric and i, I do you think for some people I,
0: it's harmful yeah I, I, it stops us tuning into all the amazing skills that we have within you know we have everything inside of us right to be simply awe-inspiring I, I personally believe and i think we have all the gear but unfortunately the more gear that's being developed over here the less idea we have of our own potential mm-hmm. you know i use I'll I'll use breathing, really, to understand where I'm at. So nasal breathing will be one. If I'm pushing too hard, I'll have to mouth breathe. Okay, I need to tape things back, taper back again. Let's get back to nasal breathing. Um, And the breath tells me so much more when I'm out there running. Will you, you,
1: whilst you're doing uh, 100K, is your goal, with the understanding that at various times, depending on what's going on, you may have to change this, is your goal to be pretty much exclusively nasal
0: breathing yeah well i train only nasal breathing so um and there's along this particular path there's four everests involved in it in terms of the ascent and descent of that along the F- path. four everests four everests so it's the southwest coastal path is um, it's supposed to be pretty brutal that path is it 630 miles or a thousand k's and the record at the moment is 10 days 12 hours so i'm attempting that in september and um so yeah you're then looking at nasal breathing throughout that so most of the legs i go out and do even a 10 mile you could come back and you've your ascent is like 2360 feet on one particular segment and then you're looking at doing um six of those in that day.
1: Now I understand <laughs> nasal breathing when you are on flat terrain, when you, you know, you've trained, you, you've, you've, you you know, you sort of, okay, cool. I've gone through that process. Now my body's comfortable with that and it keeps you in a aerobic sort of zone. I get all that. When you're now going on an uphill, like <laughs> sounds like quite a steep uphill or a prolonged uphill. Yeah. Of course, many people are not trained to be able to do this, your goal is still to maintain nasal breathing while you're doing that, or do you then allow yourself a little bit, actually if I have to open my mouth a little bit to get up here, that's okay, but then I'll return to it as soon as I Again, can. Again, it's
0: been present best, but the majority of it now i have just like you were trained to run on a flat and nasal breathe. I'm now training to do a yeah. sense like that. But there are moments when I joked one day and, you know, I said it was a particularly hard day. And so I said, there was was nasal breathing breathing majority of the way, but I was also mouth breathing. And I think I might have been blowing out my ass at one stage, you know, because it was just intense. But the majority of it is then back to nasal breathing and just trying to just maintain um, the form that I need and the form being the technique as well, but also the technique within the breath. And, you know, the studies are on um, vasodilation, bronchial oh, yeah. dilation, but the vapour loss is also something quite profound, right? I mm. understand there's 42% more vapour loss through mouth breathing. Yes, you need more water. So you, you need to, you so need to be you need running more with all these... you
1: need right? You need all these energy drinks alongside you because you're losing all through and your mouth. And
0: again, it's just when you, it's when you look at that study, it's a bit like going to barefoot at one stage. You go, ah oh, aha, why would I do that then? Okay, and if I've got to basically go and run what is 100 k's a day i need to become incredibly efficient at doing that yeah and for and I me it. that's technique it's refinement of technique and and nasal breathing comes into that just as much as running form yeah. itself you know
1: we, we covered a lot on nasal breathing first time we spoke uh the squat all kinds of things which i hope people revisit that conversation there's a lot of gold and wisdom in there um the book says tony i think it's going to help a lot of people um you know you're really inspirational tony i love what you're doing how you do it likewise Um, man thank you and it's you know been a real pleasure to talk to you again on the podcast um to finish off podcast as you know is called feel better live more yeah um your book's called be more human when we become more human of course we're going to feel better and get more out of life for people who are feeling inspired They're kind of like, okay, Tony, I'm hearing you. I'd I'd like to live a bit more in tune with my biological heritage and biological normality. Mm. You've given me quite a few ideas today, but I don't quite know where to start. How would you put it together for people at the end who feel inspired to take that next step?
0: Where to go? Firstly, um, pre-order the book. (laughs) (laughs) Out on the 26th of May. I think, firstly, just compassion before you enter any of this work, right? Um, Compassion for others, because if you're going to bring around change, it's going to challenge others. Um, Compassion to yourself, because you're going to be challenged when taking on change. Um, And patience, being patient with ourselves, being patient with others. Yeah, love it. Through a compassionate lens. Yeah,
1: fantastic advice that's helpful for anyone, no matter where they are on their journey. Good luck with the book. Thanks, man. And uh, good luck with the run. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, do have a think about one thing that you can take away and start applying into your own life. Quick reminder that my latest book, Happy Minds, Happy Life 10 Simple Ways to Feel Great Every Day, is out now. If you enjoy my weekly podcast, I really think you're going to enjoy this book. It contains lots of simple and free ideas and tools to help you think differently, deal with conflict and stress in your life better, look after your mind, and enhance your mental well-being. This in turn is going to have a transformative impact on your happiness and your overall health. It's available right now as a paperback ebook and as an audiobook, which I'm narrating. And if you don't live in the UK, you can see all international links to order in the episode description in your podcast app. Before you go, just wanted to let you know about Friday 5. This is my free weekly email containing five simple ideas to improve your health and happiness. I share exclusive insights that I do not share anywhere else, including health advice, interesting articles or videos that I've been consuming, and quotes that have caused me to stop and reflect. And in a world of endless emails, it really is delightful that many of you tell me It is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. So, if that sounds like something you would like to receive each Friday, you can sign up for free at drchastity.com forward slash Friday 5. If you enjoyed today's episode, it's always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week and please note... But if you want to listen to this show without any adverts, that option is now available for a small monthly fee on Apple and on Android. Always remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle changes is always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more.